please welcome to the stage for a conversation on indigenous knowledge, Chairman Mike Wiggins of the Bad River Tribe, Chair Brenda Mallory from the White House Council on Environmental Quality, Director Dr. Arthi Prabhakar from the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy. Well, greetings, everybody. Um, my name is Mike Wiggins, Jr. Uh, my Anishinaabe spirit name is Makade Makwa. Um, I'm serving as tribal chairman of the Bad River Band, Lake Superior, Chippewa. My spirit name, Makade Makwa, translates in English to black bear, and uh, it's an honor to be here today. Uh, we're here to have a discussion about uh, indigenous knowledge, and uh, more specifically, the indigenous knowledge guidance that the Council on Environmental Quality and the Office of Science and Technology Policy, uh, that the guidance they have developed and um, and the, the work they've done to, to look at how to incorporate indigenous knowledge into some of the uh, policies, the federal work that needs to be done on behalf of uh, the tribes and America as a whole. I wanna say that uh, <clears throat> indigenous knowledge, as many of you know, is a, is a beautiful, unique uh, bundle of, of things driven from spirit from ceremony, from practicality and knowledge of lands and plants and places. It includes star knowledge. It <clears throat> essentially comprises that, that bundle of, of teachings and, and uh, stories that have been passed down from time immemorial that help us survive on this place, on this planet, that help us interact and understand our relationships with our lands and our waters. And, and, and all of us as sovereign tribes come from different areas and, and there's beautiful stories that, that are unique to where you're from. And uh, as we move forward in a context of climate change, in a context of, of trying to chart a path forward, some of our traditional ecological knowledge, our indigenous knowledge is going to be critical to help, in my opinion, help teach America how to move forward sustainably. And so, we want to talk about some of the initiatives that, uh, that have been put forward by the president. And uh, so I have two uh, distinguished panelists with me today. Uh, Chair, Chairwoman Mallory is the 12th chair of the Council on Environmental Quality, and she is the first African-American to serve in this position. Uh, Chair, Chairwoman Mallory, if you'd uh, please give her a round of applause. And Dr. Arati Prabhakar serves as director of the Office of Science and Technology Policy and as assistant to the president for science and technology. Please uh, give our other panelists a round of applause. <clears throat> so having been through in, uh, in my homeland and, and in my, over the time of my, my 12 years as chairman, having been through environmental protection battles with mining companies. Uh, we're currently engaged in a, in a litigation dispute with a, an oil company. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, trying to reinitiate and reinstitute thousand-year-old food systems and, and pushing food sovereignty and, and those relationships with uh, plants and animals in our home. Indigenous knowledge you know, serves as that foundation uh, it reminds us about our seventh generation uh, responsibilities, 
you know, and, and how we, the decisions we make today, how they're going to ripple out and impact that, that, that future generation going forward, seven generations. It, um, it becomes a, a compass um, that gives us that thousand-year-old memory and uh, also helps us with that thousand-year vision. And, uh, and I know many of you as tribal leaders, it's, it's really about those future generations. It's about nation building. And, um, and there's a lot to talk about. So <clears throat> I want to get into uh, my first question here for Dr. Uh, Prabhakar. The president announced his Indigenous Knowledge Initiative at last year's summit. And today, OSTP and CEQ are releasing new guidance. Can you please describe what this new Indigenous Knowledge Guidance is and how it was developed and what it intends to do? Thank you, Mike. And first, I just want to say how pleased I am to be here with you and my colleague, Brenda uh, Mallory. Um, I'm, I'm the newbie here. I just started uh, in the White House at the Office of Science and Technology Policy a few weeks ago. And um, I, our organization uh, works for the president. Our job is to care about every part of federal research and development, including research grants. And our job is to care about how evidence is used in every part of the federal government. And so when I came in the door, this topic that we're talking about today is not one that was part of my experience or expertise, but it was one that I was immediately excited to learn that we were so engaged on, because I think the, the potential here is enormous. And Mike, I, I thought your summary of what indigenous knowledge is was just, was really, really beautiful. But to me, it's such a powerful idea that this this knowledge that has been arduously gained across millennia by people who live in the world and, and see the world and understand the world so richly, uh, the idea that we can respect it and that we can value it just uh, seemed really full of potential. Um, and so, as Mike said, just today, um, our, our two offices have just now released um, the new uh, the work on indigenous knowledge that's been going on. Um, President Biden kicked this effort off a year ago at this summit by uh, announcing the, talking about the importance of indigenous knowledge and then tasking us to go forth and figure out how to build the guidance so that it could actually start becoming woven into and become part of so many of the activities across federal government. And so what has happened since that time, um, a lot of work has happened. It started with a memorandum between our two offices. And you know the way, this, the way these processes work and the reason that they ultimately work is not because we sit in our offices you know, in, in the Eisenhower Executive Office building. They work because of the engagement that we have across government and with all the communities that are affected and from whom we can draw. And so in this particular case, that meant working with 25 different representatives of different parts of federal government. Uh, and I'll just note that many of the people who were involved in those projects were uh, from tribal nations and indigenous peoples, which I think actually really enriched the effort. I know many of them are here today. Thank you very much for that partnership with us. But it also meant listening to, reaching out, uh, having roundtables, deliberately engaging with uh, hundreds of tribal nations, a uh, hundred different tribal nations, and hearing from over a thousand individuals and organizations. And that's all uh, the information that came together. Uh, super important that we were able to hear 
from so many different people in this process, and I think that's really why it has resulted in what we hope will be a very significant first step uh, in federal uh, in the federal government's shift in, in thinking about indigenous knowledge. So when, when you look at the report, what you'll see is some key things that are in it. One is about uh, first, you know, the, the whole thing here starts with building this relationship with the tribal nations, because that's what we need if we're gonna really understand indigenous knowledge properly. So it's about building those relationships. Secondly, it's about applying indigenous knowledge in federal research and policies and decision-making, everything from how endangered species are approached to how research grants are allocated to major efforts like the National Climate Assessment. So a very wide range of different applications. And then finally, to share promising practices, because we have some great stories about where things have worked. And uh, building on that, I think, is going to be a place that we can really, really, really flourish. So um, I, we're just very pleased to be able to get this, this effort started. Uh, I think you heard from, from President Biden directly yesterday that uh, in, in this conversation at the summit, uh, that indigenous knowledge is one of the things that's integral to how we want to move forward. And, um, and I think we're off to the races now. So as, um, as the tribes uh, bring their, and, I, and I'm using the word bundles as, as just this, this summary of, of uh, these stories, these teachings, these, these uh, histories, and, and these specific captures of knowledge about land and water and plants and animals. As the tribes bring these things forward, um, can you provide examples of how federal agencies can incorporate indigenous knowledge into their work? Well, uh, again, I'm the new kid on the block, and I think everyone here probably knows more examples than I do. I'll just tell you a couple that really stood out to me as I've been learning about this area. My home is in Northern California, and in addition to the pandemic, uh, over the last few years, we've been dealing with wildfires, as has much of the Western United States. It affects not just that part of the country, but the whole country and actually the whole planet. And um, I think some of the really encouraging work has been uh, the Karuk and other tribes in Northwestern California uh, who've been working closely now with the U.S. Forest Service so that we can start learning how to manage fires better. I mean, this is a classic case of indigenous knowledge that is incredibly enriching in this really hard problem. So I think they're learning from restoration strategies. They're learning about how to have drought-tolerant vegetation and learning how to do controlled, um, uh, the controlled use of fire to manage. And I, you know, that's, that, was, that was one that really uh, hit home for me. And a different example, I think, that gets to the Endangered Species Act and, and that side of it, uh, the Cowlitz tribe um, was instrumental in getting protections for um, uh, Yulikon fish. Um, because of the, the long, deep knowledge that they were able to bring as the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration was trying to understand what was going on there. And so I think this is a case where, as I understand it, that we were able to use the Endangered Species Act and actually make some progress now in, in uh, promoting the recovery of that species. <clears throat> Chair Mallory from the Council on Environmental Quality, um, now that the guidance is out, um, how do you or how, do, how does uh, your agency go about ensuring that the federal government implements it? Well, first of all, I'm just so pleased to be here and have a chance to speak to this room full of people who, as Arthi was saying, are experts in this area and that we are pleased to be able to partner with you all on, on this issue. 
I think one of the things that anyone who's worked with the federal government knows is that the, the first stage and almost the easiest stage, and it's not easy, is the identification of what it should be a framework or a policy goal that we should work with. And then you have to have that implemented through every agency. And one of the keys here is that each agency has a different set of kind of uh, mission uh, goals. They have um, different um, tasks that they have to do in order to, to meet their, um, their challenge uh, and their mission to the American people. And the question that we're sort of challenging them with is, how do you incorporate within that um, work that you're doing the indigenous knowledge that we are, we are identifying as an important feature that we want to make sure is part of everything um, that the federal government is doing? And so we've uh, set up a follow-on to the original kind of uh, group of 25 who put together the guidance. We're going to have a follow-on uh, uh, um, group that will work together to really see how people move forward to develop the strategies that will, um, that will be designed to implement uh, the goals. And with the idea that within a um, mid-year, mid six-month period, that the agencies will come back together and share what they've done and what steps they've been able to take over that period to sort of take the idea and the concepts and make them real within um, their respective agencies. So it's, you know, we will continue to have an ongoing process with the agencies, and the agencies obviously um, will all, also continue to work in partnership with, uh, with you all. Are there, uh, this might be a little early, but uh, are there any examples of how agencies are embedding this uh, work into their policies and manuals? So, so there's a couple of things that are you know, happening in, in some ways in, in real time. As we are putting out our guidance, uh, NOAA, the National Oceanatic something, something Administration, <laughs> uh, NOAA uh, is uh, also putting out similar guidance that is basically leverages off of what our broad guidance does and applies it to their specific programs. Um, NOAA is one of the entities that I think um, had ongoing relationships in a number of different regions of the country with, with tribes in terms of working on and, and partnering around understanding uh, the, the ecosystem that they're responsible for. And so they, they knew places that they could go to sort of um, jumpstart this work and the, uh, putting out the guidance is the first step. Um, in addition, I think they also have, um, DOI also has some instituting um, uh, guidance that they are putting out within their programs uh, so that each bureau is um, directed to basically take steps to support the kind of collaborative engagement that we know is essential to, to make sure that we are actually adopting the indigenous knowledge in the way um, that we want and the way that we know will work. Um, the Advisory Council on Historic Preservation is also another entity um, that is uh, developing a policy regarding um, the role of indigenous knowledge in historic preservation activities. So those are some of the examples of things that are underway, but I think they give some insight into um, the way in which we see individual agencies taking our guidance and sort of taking it to the next step. But I will say just um, uh, as a backdrop, you know, over the course of the last uh, year in this administration in particular, we've had other examples of 
uh, indigenous knowledge being recognized in the actions that um, that have been taken. The president, you know, recently uh, designated a national monument uh, at Camp Hale, and as part of that, directed the uh, Department of Agriculture to kind of work with the uh, relevant indigenous tribes to uh, assess the kind of management that would make sense for that area. Uh, about a year or so ago, um, when the uh, president restored the Bears Ears National Monument, as part of that, he re reestablished a um, group that had been set up in the original proclamation for tribes to play a meaningful role in the, um, the management of that in recognition of of um, indigenous knowledge among that. So there have already been steps that have been taken um, by the president uh, and in this administration, and we just see this as being kind of a, a nice leap forward. Yeah, I think uh, the, the possibility of, of braiding up our, our tribes and their treaty rights and their, their, their visions for the future and that indigenous knowledge, along with uh, the, the federal government's ability to help protect and preserve uh, could be a really important thing to withstand some of the challenges of uh, climate change, uh, climate change, uh, the, the arrival of climate change refugees and things like that. Um, we have a lot to offer each other in that regard. So uh, my last question, uh, Chair Mallory, in, is that um, when I think of, uh, you know, the, the importance of what our elders hold and and in uh, the sacredness uh, of, of how all those uh, indigenous knowledge foundations kind of came to be, a lot of that through vision, ceremony, and other. Um, <clears throat> how is the federal government going to ensure it is using our indigenous knowledge with our consent and protecting sensitive tribal information? Yeah, and that's, that's a really important question. And one of the issues that I would say that came through loud and clear through the consultations that we had um, with uh, with tribes and also just as part of the work that folks have been who've been working in this area shared and that is a recognition that we in partnership with the indigenous people will uh, work to identify when it's appropriate and whether it's appropriate to kind of use and how we use it and I think one of the things that we recognize is that even among different um, indigenous peoples, there may be different views about whether or not some aspect should be protected or not. And so we have to be in constant communication, I think, with folks to understand like when we are um, sort of drifting into areas where there's that kind of sensitivity to determine um, the, the best way to move forward. And I think that ongoing conversation also has to reflect um, uh, a sharing by the federal government about you know what what are some of the limitations it has on things that are in our possession. So, for example, there our ability to protect some things will change um, um, because of the Freedom of Information Act. There may be things that we are not able to protect to the extent that people would want, and that should be an honest part of the conversation so that people understand to the extent that we are. Um, taking something in, uh, uh, you know, what limits there are if there, if we think that there are some risks. Thank you. Um, and so I'm going to just conclude our, our panel uh, and, and just say a couple of things that, you know, our indigenous knowledge uh, bundle back in my, my reservation and in my tribe, Bad River Band, Lake Superior Chippewa, 
The teaching from our elders have allowed the landscape and our, our surface waters and groundwaters. It's allowed our, our entire region, our watershed region, as it dovetails into what is Lake Superior, it's allowed it to, to light up in hologram form, uh, looking through the earth at uh, volcanic lava tubes to the center of the earth, recognizing a metallic mineral body that's conducting groundwater above us and how that flows on through, how it impacts our drinking water. Uh, the teachings from our elders have allowed all of that stuff to, to finally lock and click. And, and so what becomes important then is that all of those teachings gear us for survivability. It, it sets that course for the reality that we intend to be around another thousand years on this place. And so when metallic mineral mining companies show up and they got short-term profit and short-term economic development in their bundle, we say that's our groundwater recharge zone. No, you're not gonna destroy that area. When, when it comes time to try to uh, rehabilitate wild rice, we go back to bundling the way we did hundreds and hundreds of years ago because we know that the, the storms and the things that are coming with climate change are even more intense. And all of a sudden those old practices of bundling wild rice give the rice that coming together and that resiliency to withstand some of those, those big storm events. All of these things are geared towards us taking care of our place, our home. They're geared towards those deep earthen base tones of what we need to survive on Mother Earth and to take care of this place for future generations. And, and so it's gonna be good work for the tribes to get their bundles together, to get their indigenous knowledge packet, so to speak, together for uh, these agencies. And it's gonna be incumbent and, and absolutely imperative that the agencies recognize, understand, take into account what we're trying to say. Because things are going to change and they're gonna get harder environmentally, they're gonna get harder for all of us. and. Uh, and we've been here a long time. We plan on being here for a, a, a lot longer time and, uh, and we're trying to help. I, I really truly believe that the work that you as tribal leaders do, it's nation building, it's, uh, it's good work and I, I, I believe America has a lot to learn from all of you. And so uh, I'll conclude my remarks and just say thank you very much. Uh, it's been an honor to, to sit alongside these two and, and to share a few moments with you. Thank you.